Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue in our series, The Church at War. And how coincidental that on this Super Bowl Sunday, we would be addressing the helmet of salvation. There we go. Take that, you Eagles fans. <laughs> On the other hand, the uh, odds makers only give the Chiefs a less than 50% chance of winning this game. We're going to need a better helmet than that if you're walking with Jesus. But before we get into that, I'd like to pray. And I'd like to pray because... Uh, most of you are aware that over 25,000 people have died in this earthquake in Syria and Turkey. And if you're not, you should be aware of that. And there are um, agencies, Christian ministries and missions from all around the country and the world that are descending on that place and helping them. One of our own mission agencies are there, we're supporting. And uh, so... We need to have a heart for that situation that's not where most of us are not directly connected to. And then I have some burdens on my own heart for some people in our own church that are suffering. And uh, so before we get into the helmet of salvation, let's pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful today that we can come before you. You are the sovereign God over all things, good, bad, and otherwise. And Lord, because the earth groans, literally groans because of sin, your word tells us we see great natural disasters occur from time to time, and there is one now in Turkey and Syria. Lord, we know you're there. We pray that you would be there in a very special way with all the rescue workers, uh, give them safety, and help all the missionaries that are there to love on people, gr uh, give the comfort of Christ, and then just open up doors for the gospel to be whispered and, and then even proclaimed in certain places there, we pray. God, we ask you to bless our own church. There are people in this church that are hurting, some in this room that are hurting very deeply physically, and I can't pray for them all. I don't know all those situations. I know of Lori. Uh, we pray for her in the hospital dealing with cancer. Uh, we pray for Julie, another gal in the hospital dealing with cancer. We pray for our own Mark, who's dealing with cancer. Uh, this disease that has invaded bodies and threatening life itself. And then, God, I pray for everyone here in their minds, because we're going to be dealing with the mind, particularly today. It's a sin cancer that is so corrupting, and it's, it's, it's already deep into the minds of many that are in this room and those watching online. And I pray, Lord, you'd extract this cancer from these minds, and that our, your people would learn to put on the helmet of salvation, the impenetrable helmet of salvation from you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. In the late uh, 1980s, some of you will remember a goofy author, uh, but very imaginative guy by the name of Frank Peretti wrote a book, This Present Darkness. Some of you will remember that. 
And uh, it was not meant to be a theology of angels and demons, but it was a, a really eerie and sometimes creepy book. I read it. Uh, he, he, uh, he pictures the devil and his emissaries stirring the minds of, of unprotected humans. And it captured that book, the imagination of, of millions. And before Peretti, there were greater known figures like C.S. Lewis and John Bunyan. Lewis wrote uh, the Screwtape Letters. And uh, John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress and also a lesser known book, The Holy War, where he gets very graphic in his own imagination in an allegory of Satan and his demons and what they try to do in penetrating our minds. I love him or hate him, those writers powerfully reminded us and do remind us that demons in, uh, and their influencing, corrupting, and controlling abilities are getting into our heads, are getting into our minds. And I think every generation needs a thunderbolt, so to speak. Reminder that our enemy does not take a sabbatical, not then, not now. And we can't either. I can almost envision Satan's finger stirring the minds in our woke culture that we live in. And they're not even trying to hide it anymore. You, some of you saw or you watched reports on the Grammys just last week and Sam Smith's satanic ritual right in front of everyone and to an adoring audience, mind you. And this is the culture your kids are growing up in. But we shouldn't be surprised. But by the way, I, I'm gonna be very honest with you. I have had conversations with Christians and some of you whose ideas actually leave me wondering who's stirring your mind. But none of these things should surprise us because God forewarned us when he said, evil men and imposters will wax worse and worse. Have you ever read that? And we saw a few weeks ago from Isaiah 59 where we are told in Isaiah 59 verse 14 that truth has stumbled in the public places. And how true is that? And so this is a call, this entire passage is a call to readiness as soldiers of Christ. In this case, the readiness of our minds. So back to the context, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power or strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, and remember that because we're going to come back to that later. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces and evil uh, of evil in, he uh, in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not just the helmet of salvation. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, key word, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, Pastor Kurt preached on last week, with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. 
So, the whole armor of God, we have learned thus far, means that belt, that belt of truth, that is, that, that life of integrity, making everything else about our, our, phys, our spiritual armament fit properly, the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, peace, studded and ready to run into battle with the gospel that wins people's hearts to Jesus. The shield of faith that extinguishes those fiery darts of the evil one. And today, take the helmet of salvation. Now, the helmet, it doesn't take Captain Obvious to know what a helmet does, right? It protects our head. And as such, it protects our minds. The ancient world was, as one writer put it, an ancient world of fighting, ancient fighting in the first century, was singularly horrifying. Yes, they had catapults and they had arrows and they had spears to, you know, you know, to draw the analogy of rifles and grenades and missiles in our day for distant fighting. But fighting that took up the ground against your, their enemy that won the battles was bloody hand-to-hand combat. And the Roman helmet was absolutely indispensable in the battle. It was the one that we're referring to. I mean, they were, they were like, they were different versions of helmets that uh, would evolve. The one that Paul is referring to was a cast metal helmet, probably bronze, brass, possibly an alloy with even iron. But... It would protect virtually every part, even the facial areas of the soldier. Even the backsides would be protected by this helmet. And when you think of all of this protected, the helmet was, listen to this, the helmet was the confidence. There's your word today. The helmet was the confidence of the soldier. The very cause of him running into battle fearlessly. And we are talking about the helmet of salvation. Now, where's Paul going with this? The helmet of salvation. This might help. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he alluded to it. But he gives us a little more descriptive terminology. Look what he says. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the hope or the helmet of the Hope of salvation. Now, whenever the Bible talks about hope, it's not, he doesn't use it in the way in which we use it. Like, I hope it all works out. That's not the idea in the word hope here. The word hope in scripture means expectation. It means assurance. It means confidence. And that's what he's referring to here. So the helmet of salvation is the fearless confidence we possess in our fight. And we are fighting, amen? And we're talking about the battle of the mind now. And it's the helmet that gives us the confidence to charge in there. I was, just the other day, I was with my, my, uh, my younger brother, Bobby. Now, we were, we were the runts of the litter in our family, number eight out of nine. Our brothers and sisters, you know, are endlessly telling us how easy we had it. But there were perks with being younger. Part of the perk was having your oldest brother being an NFL referee. And he always brought the coolest gifts for Christmas. I mean, we liked our mom's and dad's presents, but man, we couldn't wait for Larry to get home. 
And so one particular Christmas, now by the way, we were t- my brother and I were talking about our Sandlot football games we had in the neighborhood. And these, I mean, we, our neighbor, we, would, we were serious football players in the neighborhood. We put plastic pads and plastic helmets that on and we'd go at each other. So on this particular Christmas, you imagine our delight when we opened up boxes and saw genuine Cleveland browned helmets. Let me tell you something. We put those helmets on in that game, and we just went after them. And they all kind of got out of the way because we were wearing the real thing. Believer in Jesus Christ, put on the helmet of salvation. That's the command here. It is your assurance. It is your expectation. It is your confidence that you have in the gospel and in your ability to ward off those axes, those picks, those swords that are coming at you from the devil himself. Paul said to the Philippians, being confident of this very thing, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion till the day of Christ Jesus, right? That's a confident Christian. It is the helmet of salvation. Now we talk about salvation, there are actually three helmets of salvation. There's the, there is the helmet that helps us to win over sin's penalty, the helmet that helps us to win over sin's power. I put an asterisk there because that's the one we're dealing with today. And the helmet that will eventually take us away from sin's present. It's all, it's all encompassed in salvation. When you trusted Jesus as Savior, those of you who have, and I don't ever assume everyone here has, but when you trust Jesus, that takes away the penalty of sin. Now, some of you think that's good enough. You're just wearing, that's all you're wearing. That's all you're wearing is the, is the helmet. And we'll get, you'll remember that. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. And we do look forward to the day when we don't have to battle sin anymore, amen? And that's the presence that we're talking about. But in the here and now, the helmet of salvation gives you and me victory and guarantees it even over the power of sin that threatens to take us down. God's helmet, securely fastened, inspires us to run into the battle, assures us that the penalty of sin has been paid. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? It empowers us as soldiers of Christ to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it reminds us every day That our destiny, no matter what happens in these battles, is guaranteed for me to live as Christ, to die is what? It's gain. So, for the balance of our time, I want to talk about the protection of your mind. The battle in the here and now, the helmet that protects our head, protects our mind. And let's be honest, your greatest battles are between the ears. Can I get an amen? Your fears, your anxieties, your doubts, your struggles, all those what-ifs, they're buried, and they get in, and they mess us up. And if you are not walking with Jesus Christ with the helmet of salvation securely on, you're susceptible to believing all kinds of ludicrous stuff. Our greatest battles occur in our minds. The Bible reveals three kinds of minds, and everyone here, everyone here, 
falls into one of these categories. So the three minds of scripture, the first one is the corrupt mind. That's those of you here or watching online, you don't know Jesus, you have no helmet, you have no assurance, you have no protection, you're wide open to every sword, every arrow, every spear, every missile that Satan has to hurl at you. And he's getting into your head. I know this, I'm not making it up. This is exactly what God told us in 2 Corinthians chapter four about Satan. Here's what it says. Here's what it says in chapter four, verse three and four. And even if our gospel is hidden or veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Those are lost people. Those are those of you who do not know Jesus. You're perishing. You are presently perishing as we speak. In their case, the God, little g of this world, has blinded the what? Say it. The minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. This is those of you who do not know Jesus. And this is not the first time Paul, Paul is constantly talking about those who are lost, those who are outside of Jesus as your minds being affected. Go back to chapter two and in verse one. And now, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, watch this, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. In chapter four, verse 17, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their, their minds. So Paul has the mind in mind here throughout. To the Corinthians, the apostle Paul said this, the natural man, that's the word sukakos. We got our word psychology from this word. The soulish, the dead man, the man outside without the spirit, the soulish man cannot understand the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness, that's a word that we get our word moron from that word. They're moronic to him. Neither can he know them because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Have you ever read that? Christian, you should be appalled at what lost, unsaved people say and do. But you should never be surprised. I'll say that again. If you're a Christian, you should be appalled at what lost men and women say and do. But you should never, ever be surprised. Some of you are lost right now. You need the word of God to release you from the clutches of Satan. You have no helmet, no protection. I had a preaching professor, his name was Robert Del Ney. He was a really unusual cat. And, uh, but he was a tremendous mind and tremendous teacher. And he had a club foot. He'd walk around like this, you know. And he came into class one day, we were all sitting there. He came into class and he said, gentlemen, I was in a museum in Europe one day. I came upon this Roman soldier breastplate 
mounted right there. And it was just magnificent. And right in the middle of the breastplate was this perfect, just buried, perfectly molded shot of 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 where a cannonball had hit it. And we're all just sitting there listening as he tells the story. He walks back to the pulpit. He goes, that's how your sermon should be. Okay. And that's my prayer for you with the corrupted mind. That this sermon, this word would be a cannonball to your chest, to your heart, and to change you. And what are you supposed to do if it has? If you are lost, you don't know Jesus here, or you're watching online, what are you supposed to do? I'll give you one word. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Oh, by the way, the word repent, the Greek word metanoia, you know what it means? It means to change your mind. That's what it means. Because that's where the problem starts. It'll get to your heart. Whatever's in your head will come out of your life. Repent. The second mind is the carnal mind that scripture talks about. Or worldly. Sometimes it's translated fleshly. The carnal the carnal mind is a Christian. You're a Christian. This is, and I'm thinking this is going to apply to a bunch of you. You have a helmet. You just don't wear it very often. There's no scuff marks on it, no dents from battling, from the pitch battle that we are to be in as followers of Jesus. Your head's unprotected, and a lot of garbage has gotten in. This is how the Apostle Paul described it in Romans chapter 8. Look at this here, Romans chapter 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God, and neither do you. His law, indeed it can't. Those who are of the flesh cannot please God. Those are strong words. Paul said to the Corinthians, my brethren, notice he said my brethren, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, my brethren, I cannot speak to you as unto spiritual, but rather as unto carnal, fleshly, worldly, even as unto babes in Christ. If you're a carnal Christian here this morning, your mind is a mess. Your thinking is earthbound. Your concerns, even the legitimate ones, have no eternal significance. Is that you? Carnal Christians are the ones who are often given over to conspiracies. Don't point any fingers. You're not lacking in knowledge, you're lacking in true knowledge. That gives us a right perspective in this world. And by the way, I have yet to meet a Christian conspiracy theorist who is deep and steeped in the word of God. I've yet to meet him. Haven't met one yet. Carnal Christians are defeated. They're confused. They're aimless. And they're fruitless. What's more, they often doubt their salvation, and rightly so, for good reason. 
because the assurance of your salvation is, a, is the blessing of an obedient life. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I'll love him too. And I will display, show, manifest myself to him. That's what the Bible says. And the reason that you struggle so much in your faith is because you have refused to do what Peter says, supplement your faith. Have you ever read that? The old translation says, add to your faith. How do you add to your faith? You can. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1. And if, uh, and some, I mean, some of you, somebody sent this to me the other day. I, I got a kick out of it. I mean, some of you are what, are what this guy calls your spiritual streaker. There's a lot of Christians out here that are spiritual streakers because they're rocking with that helmet of salvation and nothing else. They just got the helmet on and they're rocking. Dude, that's not bad. That's not bad. You're rocking the helmet of salvation. You got nothing else going. No wonder you doubt. And so Peter says, if you're rocking the helmet and nothing else, you're not adding to your faith, he names them virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. If these things are in you and they're increasing, you have assurance, you have effectiveness, you can go forward, the helmet is on. But if it's not, you have forgotten that your sins were forgiven. That's what the Bible says. You're like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you don't hate God, you just forget about him. I had somebody come to, up to me right after the first service, weeping. It was beautiful. He said, I am a carnal Christian. And he repented right there. How about you? Because repenting, just as you must repent if you have a corrupt mind, you need to repent if you have a carnal mind of living a wasted life. Nine years ago, I went to lunch with a man that was in our community group. He was a friend, good guy. I really liked him. But he was just basically nothing more than a spiritual lump on a log. He was doing nothing. His wife made an appeal to me and so I took him to lunch. And during that lunch, I looked him in the eye and I asked him why he was wasting his life with all the potential that God had given him. And we talked very frankly outside an outside venue at a pizza place. I had no idea what God was doing in the moment, but he repented as a result of that. His life was changed. He became a leader in the church. He is a Christ-minded man. He's a Christ-minded man today and making a difference. This can be you. This isn't meant to be if you're a carnal mind, oh, you know, just slam, slam, slam. Repent. Be useful. Get the helmet back on. The scuffs will be worth it. And finally, the Christ mind. That's where we want to go, right? The Christ mind is, the, is, is a Christian. He's a Christ-minded Christian who's got a helmet and he puts it on. She has a helmet and she puts it on every day. It would be unthinkable for a soldier to go to battle without his helmet. If he did, he certainly wouldn't go in with any assurance. But the helmet worn makes the mind impenetrable. 
You won't give in to pressure. You won't give in to compromise. You'll be like the martyrs in Revelation 12, 11 who, who, who were able to withstand Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they didn't care if they died in so doing. That's the kind of victors God wants to raise up. It's impenetrable. It's also defensible. You can't avoid all of the messaging that this world is throwing at you. I can't. But you can capture it. God has not called us to be spiritual monks any more than he's called us to be spiritual streakers. We're not to go hiding like some of you do. We got a little compound. We're not gonna go anywhere. We don't listen to anybody. What in the world is that all about? He wants us in this world, penetrating this world. But he, if you have a Christ mind, it'll be a defensible mind. You'll be able to take captive every thought because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God. They pull down strongholds and they take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's defensible. It will defend you against every lustful, every evil, every vengeful, every proud, every covetous thought. You will capture it. And when you capture something, it ain't going anywhere. Amen? And finally, it's discernible. Remember, Paul said to the Corinthians, the natural, the sukakos, the soulish, the, the spiritless man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because spiritual things are spiritually understood. But we, he says, have the mind of Christ. This is awesome. So that we can make judgments in this world. The mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ the night before he died, Jesus, with all of his disciples around him, predicted one would betray him, one would deny him. Peter, the ever boastful one, said, not me, Lord, <laughs> I'll go with you to the death. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, no, he didn't say Peter. He said Simon. It was always bad when he called him Simon. <laughs> Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. How eerie is that? If Satan has asked for you, would he be sifting you like wheat? I'm thinking the answer is a resounding yes for many of you. What, what, what do you need? I'll tell you what, you need Jesus, amen? Because in the next breath, Jesus says, but I've prayed for you. Whew. I've prayed for you. And when you're restored, strengthen the brethren. I'm praying for you right now. You with the corrupted mind that need Jesus. You with the carnal mind that needs Jesus. And if you have a Christ-like mind, be thankful for it. Go and be humble. So honestly, what kind of mind do you have right now? 
If you're, listen to this, if you're still a corrupted mind, you need to go back to Isaiah 59. That's for Jesus. Remember, we said this a couple weeks ago, he put on the breastplate of righteousness and the next breath it says, and he put on the helmet of salvation. He is your salvation. And you need him, amen? A lot of you are thinking about the game today. I get it, I am too. But if you're going to do battle, real battle, meaningful battle, you're going to need a better helmet than this. Right? The helmet of salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. May God himself grant it to all of us. And if he has granted it to you, put it on. Let's pray. Our Father, that is our prayer that you will cause us in this room to put on the helmet of salvation. That we would go with great confidence, great assurance, great expectation, those of us who are Christ-minded, wearing that helmet assured of victory. I pray for those who are here in this room, Lord, who have never put, uh, put salvation on. They're still corrupted, but you have convicted them. If that's you, dear friend, right now, repent of your sin. Believe Jesus. Believe he died and rose again for you. And if you are that one, and I think there are many of you here that have a carnal mind, you got the helmet, you just don't put it on. And it's a, being reflected in your life and in your mind. Would you repent? and live a fruitful life rather than the fruitless one that you're experiencing right now. And God, affirm the Christ-minded in our room, watching online, those who love you, who put the helmet on daily, not to go hide, but to penetrate this world, to battle your battles with the assurance that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.